You may be seated. Good morning and welcome, everyone. You may be seated as we continue in worship. So excited to have you here together. We have an awesome God who's got a fantastic sense of humor. So on the driest on the driest day, uh, uh, driest summer of record, we get a rainy picnic today, but it's going to be really wonderful. Uh, today we continue in worship, kids. We're really glad you're here. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a book of the Bible called Philemon, and actually about relationships and about justice and reconciliation and racism. And many of you adults know that even in the last couple of days, news in America that another violent action has happened. So in God's great humor, just like he has rain on a church barbecue, he has even greater wisdom. And this was already the Sunday as I'm preaching through Philemon where I invited my friend Juanita to talk to you, the church, about what the group that's been uh, going through a book called Roadmap to Reconciliation. There's a group of people at Bethany North for many months that have been having an intense conversation around race and justice in our church and in our community. So... God knew what he was doing, bringing you. Welcome, Juanita. And uh, I just want to ask you some questions to kind of bring the rest of the church up to speed with what your group has been discussing and learning and whatever else. So uh, first, just welcome. I know you had a few words of welcome as far as what has your group been doing? And Good morning, church, because you are the body of Christ. I want to let you know that after hearing from Romanita Harrison Overstreet this past fall, on race and justice and biblical, uh, through a biblical perspective. How is Bethany moving forward? Well, we're using Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil's book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, Moving Communities into Unity, Wholeness, and Justice. Our group of about eight people began meeting in May, co-led by Nathan Atchison and myself. Okay, so to catch you up to speed, we had a church-wide, uh, six, eight months ago, church-wide mm-hmm. discussion. Romanita Harrison, Overstreet, powerful speaker, preached the book of Nehemiah. Over 800 people came to Bethany Green Lake from all six locations, busting at the seams. Sanctuary full, hallways full, classrooms full, all around this, this you know, kind of message of reconciliation. And then now each, each of the six locations is going deeper into the book and taking the conversation further. What have you guys learned as a group in these discussions over the past couple months? Well, we've learned that we are not alone in thinking something has to happen. And even though we could all name uh, um, catalytic events in our country like Ferguson, presidential election, and as of a couple days ago, Charlottesville, we also were each coming to the table with unique and personal reasons to seek reconciliation. It's been really great to hear those stories, and it's given us a renewed sense of urgency. The challenge is to come to stay at the table, to listen and to learn as we move forward to create a diverse culture at Bethany, where all people are welcome and live life together where their own ethnicity is valued and expressed. The challenge is moving out of our comfort zones in relationships and worship to intentionally gain engage others who are different than our own culture. So let me ask you this. What, uh, first up, thank you for you and these others that have been moving the ball down the field, talking about race and justice, talking about what at North we need to do. Let me ask you on behalf of the group, who I know you're a spokesman for today, what would you like to see uh, the church grow into? What are, what are things you're hoping for for Bethany North? Well, we have some pretty lofty goals. So let me just list just a few of them. 
First, we'd like to see robust consensus that there is a racial divide in the United States, in Seattle, and Bethany North. It is a blind spot, and that's a problem. Second, we'd love for us to move toward the reconciled vision uh, um, of humanity that God's given us in Revelation 7 to model and embody God's reconciling work as a community. Third, we'd like to see Bethany engage in reconciliation efforts in the community. There are lots of options that include but not limited to the white-black racial divide, Christian-Muslim, refugees, and more. And through all of these, we'd also like to cultivate a deep and safe web of storytelling so that Bethany Norris people of color are heard, celebrated, and empowered to lead. I love that. What, uh, what victories have you seen as a group as you're taking stock of what God's already doing? Road to Reconciliation groups are meeting at all six Bethany locations, and we read, share, listen, learn, and discuss what's going on in our lives our group saw lots of small everyday victories um, come up as we talked about what God is doing in our own individual lives in terms of reconciliation and our places of influence. There are many stories of sharing homes with refugees, immigrants, and having our eyes open to how we can be re reconcilers. We are really excited that Bethany is moving forward in God's call to engage in the work of reconciliation to cultivate a diverse culture of people rooted in God's redemption for all. We are praying for Bethany to have people of color in church leadership and have a diverse worship experience. I love those. Those are not just lofty goals. Those are godly goals. And uh, we as a leadership team are on board with those goals. And we've seen God doing a work already and committed and excited about what's coming next. And so final question how do people get involved? Do they say, hey, I want to know more, I want to learn more, I've got a question, I'd like to join up, like what would be next steps? Well, we know many of you are already praying. So beyond continued prayer for our church and the world, join a uh, roadmap to reconciliation group so you can learn how to even begin, um, move forward in personal and collective journey with us, become part of the action plan for our Bethany North Hearts to understand why diversity and reconciliation is critical to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not optional. And an, an, another great opportunity is definitely plan to attend um, at Bethany Green Lake October 2nd. Put it on your calendar at 7 p.m. to hear more from Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. And then myself and some of our group members will be at the information desk after the service for you just to talk, dialogue, ask questions. Um, we're not scary. We're just like you, trying to follow Christ the best way we can. Juanita, thank you uh, so much. And uh, I would be honored if you would read today's scripture reading out of Philemon, and then I can share the message that God has for us today. Okay. Today's scripture reading is from Philemon 1, verses 8 through 21, and Philemon only has one chapter. Therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him 
who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is the reading of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your scriptures. Thank you for the summer of getting a chance to look at some of these books a little bit off the beaten path. And Lord, by your grace and mercy, thank you for this Sunday's message from Philemon. Lord, open us up, encourage us, help us learn the message that you wrote through, through Paul to this man Philemon and what it means for our lives now. That we would be people of justice, that we'd be reconciled, or that we would be crossing social divides. We'd be crossing racial divides, or that we would be your representatives and emissaries here on earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Your message today, the book of Philemon, one chapter long, one page long in most Bibles. Hopefully you brought your Bible today. The message is titled, No Longer Slaves. And kids, I am really glad that you guys are in the room. I'm really, really glad. Because a lot of times, kids, you're over studying the Bible with your own teachers and uh, that's awesome. We'll get back to that next week. But this week, we get to be together. And kids, you actually know something that most adults don't. Most of you kids go to school where over half of the kids in your school are from different countries, different skin colors. Right now, the uh, latest demographic in Shoreline District, 45% of students are from different uh, ethnic backgrounds than Caucasian alone, more so in Edmonds. Kids, you're used to seeing kids not by their skin color, but by their name. And by the fact that one kid's got a really good kick on the, on the playground at kickball, and someone else is really a good reader. You, you know that already. But kids, we have to learn some stuff from you, because some of us were raised seeing people by their skin color. And adults in the room, you know, a Friday night, Charlottesville, you know that the violence continues. That we like to believe that these are one-offs. Um, it isn't. Now, we've got an issue in America. We've got an issue in Seattle. We've got an issue at Bethany. And God is calling us through this scripture today. Philemon is a book about reconciliation. We're a slave. It's, it's actually incredible. Kids, you're really going to find this interesting. Or else I'm just going to yell a lot and you're going to be laughing at me. But one way or the other, we're going to get through this. But the reality, kids, is this is a good story. I'm going to set the stage in just a moment. But... This book is from Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul is writing from a jail cell. 
he's in a town called Ephesus, and he's writing a letter to a man named Philemon in a town called Colossae. Now, Colossae is what the, the letter of Colossians was written to. So Philemon and Colossians were sent together. Philemon, in many ways, is an addendum to Colossians. So if you want to understand more of Philemon, read the book of Colossians. Paul penned the book of Colossians and Philemon and sent it to the man Philemon. Now, this book is interesting because Paul is in jail in Ephesus for speaking about Jesus. He also did jail time in Rome because in that time in the Roman Empire, it was illegal to preach Jesus Christ as the Most High King. Because in Rome, they believed someone else was the Most High King. Who did they think was the Most High King, kids? You guys know. Caesar. Yeah. But Paul said, no, it's not Caesar. I mean, he's the leader of the government, but we believe in Jesus. And Jesus is the Most High King. So they locked Paul up. And in, in jail in Ephesus, he wrote the book of Philippians. And he wrote the book of Philemon. Now, there's this man, Philemon. He's the character in the story. And somewhere along the lines, he meets Paul. And Paul says, hey, there's a Most High King. His name is Jesus. Because the only way that people learn about Jesus is when you invite them. When you tell them. So the Alpha video or kids at school or in the workplace, when you share about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel grows. When we don't share, when we don't invite in, then the gospel, has, it, the gospel grows in other ways but won't grow through us. God is always asking us to be his mouthpiece. So Paul shares with Philemon and Philemon goes home to his town of Colossae and he starts a church. Some of you kids were with Bethany North when we started a church. Where we started in the Richmond Highlands Recreation Center over there. And then we moved. Like, this is what Philemon did. And so Paul, in jail, writes a letter to Philemon. And there's a third character. And his name is Onesimus. And he's a slave. Philemon actually owned Onesimus. And Onesimus is a runaway slave. And, and Onesimus gets free. And he goes to Ephesus and he cares for Paul in jail. Onesimus, we don't know a ton about him, but we know that he was a runaway slave. And in that day and age, that was wrong. You, you weren't allowed to do that. And in, in, in Colossae, in Philemon's hometown, the, the average slave owner was, owned hundreds if not thousands of slaves. And it's a sad time in world history, but it was normal. And, and a slave was considered property. Not a human, but like a car. Or a house. It was something you owned. And so Onesimus ran and Philemon had every right by the law to get him back and to, to either make him go to work for him again or to put him to death. Because in ancient Roman culture, when a slave ran, you could, when they returned or you found them, you would put them to death to make them kind of be punished. And that the rest of the slaves would learn, oh, I don't want to do that. So Philemon had every right to the law to take Onesimus, the runaway slave, and to put him to death. And Paul says, no, when you believe in Jesus, you live different. You have different rules. You no longer see people as slave or free. You no longer see people just as black or brown or yellow or red. No, you, it's bigger than that. That we are a family of the Most High King. And if we believe this stuff about Jesus, we need to act different. We need to not judge people by their skin color. We don't, we don't do violence against other people. But the grace of Jesus Christ calls us to have a family of Christ. As Martin Luther says about this little book, he says, We are all God's Onesimus. We are all God's Onesimus. Every one of us in the room... 
is a runaway slave at a level. Every one of us in the room was set free from the bondage of our sin, speaking metaphorically to the big kids in the room, that every one of this is aligned with Onesimus. We find ourselves in today's story. But every one of us too, friends, is Philemon. Because we own a Bible. And this letter is written in 55 AD, but it might as well have been written today. Christ is calling us as Philemon to be setting people free. To be giving people a new status, to be having hard conversations about race and about justice, about sins that were done to us or the stuff that we have trouble forgiving ourselves for, that we are both the Inesimus and we are also the Philemons, where because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our lives are meant to be lived different. And so today, it's going to be pretty simple. We're going to study these three characters in the book, Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul himself. And through the study of these three, we get a word to be brave. And to lead others well and to forgive others as the Spirit of God has enabled us to do. Ultimately, this is a book about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about also being brave and facing hard stuff. And about leading people that we're called to shepherd. Let's look at the first character in our study. Let's look at Paul. To that, I want to look at verses 4 through 12 here. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul because Philemon is this case study. If you really believe in Jesus, then your life is meant to live different. Look at verse 4 through 12. I always thank my God, Paul says to Philemon. Remember, he's in jail. He's writing this letter to Philemon who's starting a church in his hometown. We know about Philemon. He was, he was a leader and he was wealthy. And so he got to kind of host the church in his house because his house was big enough to be able to proclaim the gospel from. Paul writes, I always thank my God, Philemon, for you because I hear about your love for his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Philemon's a good guy. He loves Jesus too. He starts a church too. Paul says, yeah, here your, your life is being lived as a blessing for others. Every one of us in the room, whether you're six or 60, we are called to be a blessing to others. Like, nobody cares what you think alone. They care how you act. So in our homes, when we fight, we have to make up and say, I'm sorry that I wronged you. I'm sorry that I lied or that I yelled. Will you forgive me? Because I believe in Jesus. I want to be different in how I parent you or how you're parenting me at work and in relationship. The gospel is constantly calling us to put this stuff at play. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. We are called, friends, to be deepening our understanding of Christ. All of us in the room. Man, yeah, I learned that stuff then. This stuff matters now. You know, I want to understand what happened in Charlottesville. I want to understand Philemon and what that's calling me to be a reconciler here in Shoreline or in Briar or in Edmonds. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Again, Philemon, he's a good guy. He's not an evil character in this story. And this is real. This really happened. This is reality TV 2,000 years ago. Verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what is right, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It's none other than Paul, an old man now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We can pause there. If you want to change somebody's heart, appeal On the basis of love. Right? Over and over in here, Paul says, I could tell you what to do, but I'm so confident of what the gospel will do with you. I'm appealing on the basis of love. Verse 10, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son, says Paul, when I was in jail in Ephesus. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. Paul says, verse 12, I'm sending him, who's my very heart, back to you. 
Now, just so you understand the scene, Paul is writing this letter to that guy. What's this guy's name here? The leader of the church in Colossae? That was pretty lackluster, but it's August and it's raining, so I'm going to go with, yes, Philemon. So he's writing the letter, and Onesimus has been, he's a slave, and he doesn't have any rights, and he's become a Christian, and he's been ministering to Paul. Paul says, we have fellowship now. It's the same word in Greek that was used for the church, koinonia. We're a family now. And then Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. We'll get to Onesimus in a minute, how challenging that would be. But what Paul is, is saying that, hey, I, I'm sending my very, my very heart to you. Verse 12. Now, the ancient Greek word for heart wasn't heart. It wasn't even cardia he used here. He used the word splunkta. Because in ancient Greek and Roman culture, they didn't think that your heart was where your emotions were. They thought it was your guts. So Paul says, I'm sending my very guts back to you. This guy, Onesimus, we are... He might be a different skin color than me, says Paul, but we worship Jesus together. We're like a part of the family now. So I'm sending him back to you. And I trust, Paul is saying to Philemon, that you're going to do the right thing because of the values of the kingdom. Over and over again in this letter, Paul is appealing Philemon to lead others well. That we are called to lead others well. Some of you are like, man, I'm trying to lead others well and get through this sermon right now. This is tough because, you know, we don't always have my seven-year-old or nine-year-old with me. But all right. But every one of us in the room is a leader. You are. And whether you're a leader at your workplace or you've been married 50 years and so you're a leader in how marriages stay together or you're 20-something and you're single and you're leading of what it looks like to be dating and a Christian or you're, you're in elementary school or like everyone in the room a leader because the gospel of Jesus Christ expects us to be a leader to other people, that they would see Christ alive in us. Every one of us is a leader. Our, our, our actions influence others. And so, on Friday night in Charlottesville, when this rally starts to remove General Lee from a central park, and people are walking around with their torches, and a counter-protest comes to sing and say that's not actually what America patriotism is based on, and they're beaten, like leaders need to lead. And say this isn't America. That's not actually public discourse to beat other people. That's racism, and it's not going to happen. We are called to lead others well. And especially, I got this word for, for parents this morning and for kids. Your parents are trying to lead you well. I know that's tough, but your job, kids, is to listen to them and to pray with them. Parents, to pray with your kids. Nothing's more powerful than kids seeing your parents pray and worship. Just a little while ago, we're sitting through the worship set, and my wife is, you know, she's worshiping, her eyes closed, hands open, she's worshiping, and I'm like, oh, it's, and, and my four-year-old, he's watching her. I'm like, see, that's what happens. I, I can mention that in the sermon, because kids are always watching us, who we pray to, the music we listen to, they, they like, we model it. We're called to every one of us in the room a leader. You know, I'm like, I kind of like go in there with my head, and then he's like, why are your eyes closed? You know, and I'm like, okay, you kind of ruined the moment. But the point is, like, every one of us in the room, we're called to lead others. All right, you're 11, and you're on a soccer team. Man, lead others. Because those kids, like, they care that you score goals, or you're really good at defense. But, man, they're watching you if you say you're a Christian. Or you're in high school right now, or you're post-college, or you're older, like me. Like, every one of us in the room, the gospel is meant to be using our lives to lead others to say this is who jesus is and this is how our lives reflect him 
Now, to illustrate this, there's an amazing story about John Newton. And many of you have heard the story about John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. It's a, it's a long story. It's a great story. You can read it with your parents or, or adults. You could Google it because John Newton, you know, we know the story. His boat almost goes down. He's a slave trader. His life is spared. He comes to faith. There's more nuances. He actually spends time himself in West Africa as a slave of an African tribe. He comes to faith, but then he has to come to faith again. Because adults, as you know, our faith can waver and get weary. And Newton says, you know, he was a slave trader. He wrote Amazing Grace. He wants his life to be in leadership of other people, like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon. And he becomes a pastor. But he's not sure his life really matters. Because believe it or not, there's, there's certain days of the year as pastors where you're like, I'm pretty sure my life doesn't matter. And, and he's pretty sure he, his life doesn't matter. He's, he's in this little Episcopal church and, and then he has some influence in people. But he's, he's kind of thinking about all this and he meets a young man named Wilbur Wilberforce. Now the young man Wilbur Wilberforce was in parliament, but he was really sure that his life didn't matter. Because he was so tired of politics. He was just sure this young guy, Will, was, like, he wasn't living his life right. And so John Newton was older and understood that as a Christian, we're supposed to lead others well. And so he says these words to William Wilberforce. He says, serve God where you are. You might want to write those down. Serve God where you are. On the soccer field, in the classroom, as a stay-at-home dad or mom, at work at Boeing. I don't know, is a retired person right now. Every one of us in the room has a different context. Serve God where you are. Newton says that to Wilberforce. Wilberforce doesn't quit politics, stays in parliament. Some of us know the story of Wilberforce's career. He actually abolishes slavery in England. Serve God where you are. Every one of us in the room a leader. Every one of us called to impact the next generation, the present generation, in healthy marriage, in serving at the junction, or coming to church, or just God saying, hey, serve God where you are, because I want you to be a leader, says Paul to the book of Philemon. That's the, that's the lesson we get from the leadership of Paul to, to the message here through Philemon. Let's look at the next character. The character is Onesimus. Now remember, Onesimus is our slave. He's the runaway slave. And he's got this amazing story because he runs away, but he actually goes to a jail, becomes a Christian with Paul, and now he's ministering to Paul. He's bringing bread. In those days, jails didn't feed you. So if you got to jail, people would have to bring you bread and water. And so Onesimus, even though he's free, if you think about, man, I get out of jail, if I get out of slavery, I am not going to the jail. Not Onesimus. He's got this character. He's got this heart. So he goes to the jail, he meets Paul, he receives Christ, he's caring for Paul, and he's got this powerful testimony. Look at your Bible, Philemon, verse 13, 14, 15, 16. I would have liked to keep him with me. Paul is talking to Philemon about Onesimus. I'd like to keep Onesimus with me so he can take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Adults in the room. This is called... Beautiful manipulation, this letter. It's like a masterful uh, legal treatise, isn't it? Like, he's just, he's, he's absolutely getting Philemon to do the right thing, but he's, he's just kind of giving him no options, actually. So he's saying, Philemon, it could be you serving me, but I'm actually glad Onesimus is serving me. Verse 14, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your favor would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Again, there it is. If you want to impact others, allow them to volunteer their life in the service of others. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. 
He's very dear to me, but even dear to you as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. Paul uses this word brother, brother, brother. Think about it, you guys. But Paul is in jail in Ephesus. There's a runaway slave. This is written in the year 55 AD where slaves were, they had no dignity. They had no rights. They weren't humans. They were just, they were a thing. And Paul says, this person, this, this, this man of African descent, he, he's not a thing. He's a brother to me. And this is where the gospel of the New Testament is so transformative to us. Because even though slavery continues for, for, for many hundreds of years after this, God was sowing the seeds that Jesus Christ wants us to not have slaves. That the gospel is calling us to see people of different skin tones as brothers and sisters. Because they, they worship the same God. So Paul's like, man, you're not a runaway slave to me. You're a brother. It's incredible, Onesimus. You're, 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 you're a brother to me. Verse 13, Onesimus is, look at verse 13. I would have liked to keep him with me. He could take your place in helping me. Onesimus is doing the work, uh, the work of the gospel. So you heard Juanita talk a little while ago about the roadmap to reconciliation group. A lot of you like get passionate about issues or passionate about the church or passionate about seeing high school kids come to faith or, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is going to be where your life will be used in impact. Hey, the truth is it's going to take some work. Like it's going to just take some work. And Onesimus is doing the work of the gospel. He's showing up. We all can, can wish things would happen differently, but the, God wants us to, to do his work for him on earth. And look at verse 14. Onesimus has this willingness to, to do hard stuff. Where Paul is saying, like, I didn't want to send him without your consent. I'm looking for your consent. And Onesimus seems to, even though he's, he's kind of free as a runaway slave, he seems to put himself in the willingness of Paul's hands. Say, hey, yeah, I'm going to follow God now. And I'll do what you asked me to do, Paul, because you're kind of a spiritual leader to me. I'll do hard stuff. I'll do what needs to happen to see God magnified in the world. And think about the trust it would need to be for Onesimus to be ministering to Paul and Jaya. And Paul says, hey, I need you to go back. Go back? Go back to Philemon's house, to Phil's house in Colossae. I'm 100 miles away. I'm free. If I go back, he might kill me. I mean, I ran, says Onesimus. He, he ran from Philemon's, from the, slave, from the slave quarters. And Paul says, I'm sending you back. That's incredible. But one of the things I want to just lift up to us here as a church, all ages in the room have this to learn. The gospel encourages us to be brave. And we can want to kind of go to new places, to new jobs, to new relationships, to the next season even. And God says, the work that I want to do through you will be when you go back and face the hard stuff of broken relationships. So he sends Onesimus back to where he might have been injured, but Paul sends him with a letter. Now the letter from Paul is his, is his guarantee things are going to be okay. And then some of you in the room might be like, Man, it'd be great if I had a letter, right? If God gave me a letter where I just always knew, like, I was untouchable, it'd kind of be your superpower. Like, some might say, what's going to be your superpower? I wish I could fly. I wish I could be invisible. A pretty good superpower would be a letter from God that nobody could ever harm you, right? And friends, that's, that's what Jesus did for us. That's what the Bible is. We have this promise that, that God's going to take care of us. And so we need to be brave and face hard conversations Hard decisions. Of course, not in an unsafe way. If you're like, well, there is this really poisonous relationship or there's that workplace that was, that was so dangerous. No, I'm not saying that. 
Some of you in the room need the asterisk or like, no, I, I don't need to go back. God has given me confidence to leave a situation that's not good for me. I want to encourage you, listen to that voice of the Spirit. But for many of us, God is saying, be brave and face the stuff of your life and practice reconciliation. Practice forgiveness. Have hard conversations about race. Talk to your kids about what's going on in America. Say, how might we be a blessing? There are kids that don't have school supplies. And so because our church has built a relationship with DSHS and with Vision House, they called volunteers. From, they don't even call me. They call the volunteers from this church that have a heart for kids in the community. And they say, hey, guess what? There's kids that don't have pencils, you guys. Like they, they have nothing. We'll serve breakfast to people at the junction on the last Saturday of this month. They don't have food. Okay? So God is asking us all the time, be a blessing and be brave and do hard stuff and love others well. Buy pencils and say a little prayer for kids that need it. Or, or serve breakfast or have these conversations that are difficult. But be brave. The gospel is asking that of us. Be brave. God is constantly wanting to, to use us in such a way that our own stories would be, would be changed by him. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesus, Paul wrote a letter, a different letter to those group of Christians called Ephesians. He says that we are each the handiwork of God. We're like his painting. We are God's painting. And I don't know about you, but that's a cool image, that my life is actually like a painting to God. Here's what one theologian, N.T. Wright, says about this, this whole idea that God is doing a painting with my life. Right, it says we can't often look at the details of our lives and see exactly where they fit into a larger plan of God. If we try, we become grandiose, imagining that we're the center of God's universe, or we become depressed, wondering whether there's any pattern or meaning of it at all. From time to time, though, if we watch in faith and trust, we can glimpse something of what God is about, of what the divine painter has in mind. And when we glimpse it, we are wise to go with it. God is doing a work in our lives. He's painting. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Impressionist and, and Monet and some of his buddies, but they, didn't, they weren't realists. They weren't trying to paint something exactly as it looked. They painted with tiny little strokes. I mean, so uh, raise your hand if you like to paint in the room. Any kids like to paint? Yeah. I, yeah, I know a seven-year-old girl loves to paint. So they, they would just take different colors and just paint here. And there's a little black a little yellow, or maybe they're painting the boat, so it's like kind of dark. And if you just look at one little square and say, God, what are you doing in the season? I can only see this picture. I can only see these little brushstrokes. God, how does it all fit? Violence in Virginia and, and things going on at work. And I, I might just look at a, a, a small picture and God is saying, step back and see. As this is Monet's sunrise. It's, God, God says, I'm doing something at work in the world. And you need, to, you need to be having conversations about race and, and loving other people and trying to contribute to what the gospel wants to do. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be beautiful. And God says, you are my paintings. I am in control. And so be brave and face the hard stuff in your life. To, through Paul, he says, be a leader and lead other people in hard discussions and, and changing their ways. And, and through Onesimus, he says, be brave. And then we get this final person, this character of Philemon himself. Look at verses 17 through 22 to Philemon himself. 
Now, just a sidebar, oftentimes, like, we know this in the Bible, though we read it individualistically. The Bible in the New Testament was all written to churches, house churches. This would be the one exception. This letter was written to Philemon himself, but the church met in his house, and this word would have been read in front of everyone. So if you're Philemon, you, you know, you're worried about that runaway slave, maybe you have a plan. But when this letter comes, it's addressed to Philemon, and he's reading it in front of everyone. So look at Philemon, verse 17 through 22. Verse 17, if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. That's beautiful. Right? And parents, here's a great tactic. Next time you ask your kids something, just uh, quote Philemon verse 19, that you owe me your very self. Like, can you get up and get me a glass of milk or the remote control or a refill of fries? Because you owe me everything, basically, right? I actually use that in my home. It's marginally successful. Hopefully you'll have better luck than I do. But Philemon is saying, or Paul is saying to Philemon, without me, says Paul, you'd have nothing, Like, without Jesus in your life, I got to share it with you, Philemon. Yeah, yeah, you're back home starting the church, but you owe me a little bit. And so if you owe me, I want you to treat Onesimus fairly, and I want you to set him free. Welcome him into the church. So Philemon is reading this letter to the church. He's saying, welcome him into the church. Friends, I, I will say it till the day I die. The church has to matter. The church has to have hard conversations. The church has to be leading conversations on reconciliation. The church has to be doing justice and and leading school drive supplies and feeding people. The church has to be doing the work of the gospel. God has left himself through the church. And I know we get it wrong all the time. And we send emails at 8.30 Sunday morning that should have come in Thursday. Dang, nabbit. You know, but it's like, no, I mean, we blow it because we're human. But God uses the church. And so he says, if, if Onesimus can be restored, can you welcome him into the church? And the church, friends, it led the charge in this. The first couple hundred years, all the way to Constantine in, in the year 300-something, the church was the countercultural movement. It was the anti-establishment. It was the justice conversation. Women, you don't have equal footing in ancient Roman culture, but in the church, you're leaders, Lydia, you can start a church in the church. Onesimus, I know that in Roman culture, you're you're a piece of property. But in the church, Onesimus, you're a brother. The church has always been doing the work of making people wholehearted and fully capable to connect with God and one another. So our job, friends, is to love each other well. And to say if half of this community is non-Caucasian descent, then we need to do a better job of getting a leadership group that looks like our community. And if the whole church is meant to be a picture of Revelation where it says every tribe, every tongue, then our worship should reflect that and our teaching and our church should be the most diverse place in America. And it's not. The church, Onesimus saying, welcome Philemon, welcome Onesimus into the church as a brother as a full-on brother of Christ. And in so doing, you will build the church up. You will build each other up as you practice this work of forgiveness. 
Philemon, again, he had every right to be mad at Onesimus for running away or worse. And Paul says, because of Jesus, you got to forgive him. You're going to have to do the work of forgiveness. Now, reconciliation, that, that word means a thousand things in our society today. In, in the book of Philemon, there's definitely a countercultural call to, to take somebody of a different ethnic status and bring them as equals. There's a call towards people of all cultures being on equal foot before the cross, for sure. And there's also a very practical calling to forgive people and to really do the work of forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard because, well, that person wronged me. And I can choose forgiveness or I can choose anger and, and I don't know what I want to do with this. And this is a real-time conversation for a lot of the big kids in the room, right? How do we forgive others? My ex or that boss or a child or a parent or some other situation and it's complicated i get it but the gospel is calling us to pursue reconciliation in broken relationship and practice forgiveness and for many of us i i will just suggest that we have trouble forgiving others because we struggle to forgive ourselves. i want to tell you about a mom named sue from colorado mom named sue from colorado now this mom was a normal mom raising a high schooler in Colorado. And on April 20th, 1999, her son went to school and said, bye, mom. And he went to high school at a place called Columbine. Now, this is a big room this morning, so we will be appropriately cautious. But for the adults in the room, one word, and you can kind of harken back to all that happened. Sue Claybold's son, Dylan, was part of the carnage. That all the lives were lost. And the days after Columbine, with her son lost, as well as taking the lives of others, Sue was wrecked with depression, and then a divorce, and then cancer, and people hated her. They suffered lawsuit after lawsuit, and people asked the question, how could you not know? What was wrong with you? What horrible thing did you do, Sue? And Sue is now leading the charge in, in some of this forgiveness and reconciliation. And she said for her, she had to own the path of her life. And see, she suggests that so many people struggle to forgive others because they feel unforgivable themselves. She had to come to a place where she could forgive herself. Friends, what Paul is saying to Philemon, he's saying, we are all Onesimus. We are all forgiven of a great, great thing. Because of who Jesus is, we are forgiven. And because we're forgiven of all of our sin and called a, a brother of Christ and sons of the Most High God and, and the family of God, we need to be doing this work of forgiving others and also at times forgiving ourselves. And not holding on to stuff from the past that, that the enemy is, is, is whispering in your ear, hold on to it, you know, they'll never forgive you. And that's what keeps some of my friends stuck in addiction and brokenness and, and why marriages are coming unglued. Let the healer work, friends. Let him work in your life. And do the reconciliation work where you're saying, God, I want you to work in this relationship. I want you to work in my society. I, I, I know that if the gospel is going to work, that I need it to work in my own heart. And how does that work practically? I just will say this practically. Um, Juanita mentioned on October 2nd, we'll have the whole church gather from Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. She speaks around the country. She's coming to Bethany on Monday night. 
October 2nd to talk about the roadmap to reconciliation. It's really talking about racial justice in our community. And then the next hour, every campus will split off into different parts of the property there at Green Lake to just say, what do we do at North next? How do we get practical next? That's where people really want to talk about justice and race. Like, set your, set your clock to that. Come to that. Join Juanita's group, that discussion. Get involved. Many, many people are kind of disturbed and disgusted with what's going on in America. We get involved. And like the little brush strokes from Monet's sunrise, God is asking us to make a difference, just one conversation at a time, one relationship at a time, one I'm sorry at a time, one can I forgive you at a time, one God will you forgive me at a time, that the gospel would continue to work. And then this little book concludes with just this simple verse Paul is still in jail in Ephesus. He's still writing to Philemon in Colossae. And he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it doesn't tell us the end. Like, what happened? I mean, this was a real story. So what did Philemon do? What did Onesimus, what happened? He was the runaway slave. What happened? Like, I would love to know the end of the story. But friends, it's kind of amazing and this is our conclusion. Parents are like, amen, brother, bring it, bring it. Ah. Well, we have this clue because 50 years after Philemon was written, the church leader, uh, the, uh, Ignatius, in the year about 100, Ignatius wrote to the leader of the church in, in Ephesus. And he says, what's happening in the church in Ephesus, the whole region's being changed. And he, Ignatius writes this letter, remember, 50 years after Philemon. And he writes a letter to the leader of the church. And he quotes the book of Philemon. He said, who was used to be useless, now is useful. The leader of the church, the bishop of the church in Ephesus. And guess what his name was? His name was Onesimus. And we don't know if that's the same guy or not, but I... I kind of think so. The fact that Ignatius quoted Philemon, verse 11, I would love to believe so. That this former slave, through Paul's leadership, because we have to lead others well, he, he, the former slave is brave and faces hard stuff, and then Philemon says, I'm going to do the work of the gospel, and I'm going to forgive others. And he's not just a slave, or white to brown, or Roman to a slave culture. No, we are brothers. And I would love to believe that 50 years later, the leader of the whole church doing that work for the whole region was the same guy, Onesimus. Friends, lead others well. Friends, be brave. Friends, practice forgiveness of others and of yourself. And may this be a church that is focused on reconciling as we've been reconciled by the foot of the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these friends. Thank you for this morning. We pray as we close in worship that you would have us thinking about our own lives, about situations that we could, that we could be brave with, that we can think about the way that we parent and the way that we're leading the next generation. You would give us courage to have hard conversations, to challenge practices in our society that are unhealthy, to speak up, to act out, to practice the work of forgiveness, both personally and collectively. Lord Jesus, it, it is so beautiful that you are the artist painting this, this beautiful sunrise of our lives. And so, Lord, as, as young and old, men and women this morning, as we turn to song, we, we want to worship you. 
and say that we believe that you are the creator. We believe that you are the great artist. We believe that our lives have purpose. And we know, Lord, that you are sending each of us as Onesimus into hard situation, as Philemon, <laughs> that we are leaders called to lead well in this day and age. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. This morning, we say we love you too. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? As always, there's some prayer team people down front. If you want to lift something up in prayer, let's close and sing a song called No Longer Slaves, that all of us have a new status because of the cross.